Welcome to Startup Cornell, a podcast exploring the bold entrepreneurial ideas coming from our students, faculty, staff, and alumni. I'm Kathy Havis, your host, and today we're talking with Matt Nastos, CEO of Maison Market, a digital marketing agency specializing in growth marketing, customer acquisition, lead generation, and business intelligence. Matt founded the agency with his brother, Lexi. Using technology and data analytics, the agency helps brands manage their customer relationships all the way from discovery to loyalty. They also support early stage ventures with marketing mentorship, as well as offer marketing help to nonprofits and academic organizations. We're excited to hear more about his story. To find out more about entrepreneurship at Cornell and see the show notes from this episode, visit eship.cornell.edu. And remember to rate and review the podcast if you could by scrolling to the bottom that will help even more young entrepreneurs find the podcast and be inspired to follow their dreams. So welcome, Matt. I'm so glad you could be with us today. Hi, Kathy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Great. So tell us a bit about your company, how it was founded and exactly what you do. Yeah, sure. So just kind of a quick elevator pitch. So I founded Maison Market back in 2014. Maison Market is a leading e-commerce customer acquisition agency. We focus primarily on servicing fashion, luxury, jewelry, accessories, footwear, and other lifestyle goods. So we essentially have a roster of consumer brands that we work with, and we are primarily responsible for helping them scale and grow their direct-to-consumer channels. So every month, to give you some perspective, we manage tens of millions of dollars of digital media across all of the major platforms from Meta, Google, TikTok, Snapchat, YouTube, LinkedIn. And each quarter, each season, we're responsible for helping our clients sell through hundreds of millions of dollars of gross merchandise value. So that's kind of the very high-level takeaway and the quick pitch on on what we do. That's awesome. So how did you and your brother think about this company when you were starting it? And why did you decide to focus on the area that you did in terms of luxury goods and different fashion things? Yeah, absolutely. So I could take a few steps back, perhaps, and give you a bit on like the origin story of, of Maison Market and how and why we started the business. So a little bit of background on Lexi and myself. We both kind of come from a, a fashion background. Our parents met at FIT, the Fashion Institute of Technology, back in the 70s. So without FIT, Lexi and I wouldn't be here. So I'll, I'll do. And I'm actually, as a side note, like I do a lot of mentorship for FIT has a lot of programs for emerging designers. So like I, it's definitely a school that I have a lot of closest with and, and fondness for. But yeah, so parents met at FIT. Our dad had a business in the garment district in New York for a long time. His background was in supply chain, production, garment licensing. And we always, and when I say we, my brother and myself, always kind of gravitated towards the industry. There was a lot, it seemed like a cool kind of hybrid of business and creative. And I was fortunate that when I was in high school, I was able, through some contacts of my father, to get a internship in the industry. I worked for or I interned rather for a menswear company called Joseph Abood, which is still around. It's like a men's tailoring company suiting that type of thing. And I did that. That was very, very much like reinforced my interest in the industry. And then at some point late in my junior year of high school, I was fortunate enough to discover that Cornell had a program, which at that time was called Textile and Apparel Management or Textiles and Apparel, TXA. And I actually, my senior year of high school, reached out to some of the professors in the program to see if we could 
go up and visit and like just learn more about the program. And fortunately, Professor Netravali was super receptive and invited me to come up to Ithaca my senior year. And I remember it was like a, a very big deliberation for me whether to go up or not, because I had to miss my senior year homecoming weekend. Professor Netravali was so welcoming and cordial that I was like, you know what, this seems like the stars are aligning here. I should probably take, take him up on this opportunity. So I uh, decided to go up, really hit it off with a number of the, the students and, and the faculty, and just kind of like, it seemed like the logical next step for me in terms of pursuing this area that I was interested in that kind of was woven into familial DNA for, for better or for worse. Got into the program, and I'll fast forward a little bit. My brother, by the way, two years later, he's two years younger than me, also applied and, and got into the program. So uh, we we're both within the College of Human Ecology. Uh, the program later became the program of fiber science and apparel design. So it kind of went through a bit of a, a name change and a rebrand along the way. But we got our careers, both Lexi and I got our careers started working in the fashion industry after we graduated from Cornell. I actually ended up working in a business development role for a trade show organization, which was effectively responsible for bringing together hundreds of brands and helping them kind of grow and scale their wholesale distribution. So they would bring brands together and through these trade events, they would help brands sell to the Neiman Marcuses of the world or the Nordstrom's or the Bloomingdale's and so on and so forth. And Lexi got his career started working for Andrew Rosen at the brand Theory, which is a contemporary apparel brand, and then worked at a multi-brand retailer called Scoop, which was uh, kind of like an intermixed contemporary competitor back in the day. So Lexi and I both like studied fashion. We both got our careers started in a very kind of what I would consider to be like a very traditional corner of the industry. Like I'm working in trade shows, which are very much analog in-person events. I'm in the Javits Center in New York. You're putting up walls and Lexi is working for a brand and then for a wholesale retailer. And at least speaking for like my part of the story, I think what I realized very early on in my career, in the first like three or so years of my career, while I was working within trade shows was that I wanted to make sure that whatever career path I went down had a lot in the way of optionality. And at that time, there was a huge amount of consolidation within the kind of fashion trade show arena. And specifically, there was like kind of three big companies that managed effectively all of the trade events in the United States. And what happened while I was getting my career off the ground is that they all purchased one another. And there was a lot of mergers and acquisitions where first, you know, there was three and then there was two. And now there's effectively one large company that oversees all of the major fashion trade events. And I realized that like, okay, like there's not a lot of moves. Not only is there not a lot of moves necessarily for advancement, but there's also not even like a lot in the way of lateral moves. <laughs> so that was definitely very concerning for me. So what I decided was I wanted to just like make a push into a more nascent or progressive part of the industry. And I decided to take a pay cut and go work for an e-commerce startup based downtown in New York. And I wasn't sure at the time if it was the, the right move or the, the wrong move, but I figured, you know what, I'm going to plant a flag in e-commerce. This is to give you some perspective. This is back in 2012, 2013. And I decided that I was going to plant a flag in e-commerce because at the very least, it seems like the tide is rising in that area. And that's a wave that I could ride. Even if the startup does or doesn't work out, there's like an interesting area for me to kind of grow my career within. So kind of went from kind of fashion background, studied that at Cornell, 
started in a more traditional area, and then I worked at an e-commerce startup. That's really fascinating. Yeah, so I didn't realize that. I thought you had more of a business background, but you have more of a fashion background to start out with anyway. I mean, the fashion and business are combined. It's interesting. So within the program in human ecology, there's three, There's or at least when I was there, there was three paths. There was apparel design, which was very much like the creative path that you could go down, which is exactly what it sounds like. There's fiber science, which is very technical, kind of veers more towards like material science and engineering. And then there's textile and apparel management, which is a business program within human ecology. So it kind of weaves a lot of that, a lot of that together. Right, right. But it makes sense that you would already, when you and your brother decided to make the leap to start the business, you already had these, a lot of connections in this area to move into that. So certainly we had been mulling it over and thinking about it for quite a bit. If you'd like, I'm happy to kind of talk through, I kind of talked through this up through the e-commerce startup that I joined. And then there was obviously kind of this crossing the chasm moment. Right. Yeah. So what was the point where you both thought, well, you know, we really want to have our own thing. We really want to start our own business. Or was there a, a lack of this kind of service that you saw within the industry? Well, it's interesting. You know, I've thought a lot about that. And, and to a certain extent, the starting of the business was circumstantial. But looking back on it, I do wonder if it was predetermined or or whether or not it was just kind of the the stars aligning at the at the right moment. So going back to kind of the my my career story and how I ended up starting Maison Market. So start off in trade shows, realized pretty early on that that's not really for me. I end up at this e-commerce startup. And while I was there, a few things happened. One, I learned a lot about customer acquisition, a lot of like the a lot of the the muscles that we work out on a daily basis at Maison Market. Like I started to like hear some of the acronyms for the first time and like start to understand things like customer acquisition cost and growth marketing and growth hacking and all the things that are very central to what we do today. I started to like just turn the page in the first chapter at this startup, which was very obviously informative and helpful. In addition to that, I was really fortunate that that startup was a marketplace. And part of the reason that that was fortunate is because I was working also in a business development role. I was able to meet dozens and dozens and dozens of different brands. And that connected me to a lot of emerging design talent in New York at that time. So even though Lexi and I kind of came from the industry, so to speak, like a lot of the relationships that became the foundation for Maison Market and for our own business came through that startup experience. And for that reason, it's funny, whenever I'm speaking with people that are maybe in school or recent graduates, I remember when I graduated from school, the idea of sales and, and business development, like I, I found it to be, to be honest, like kind of <laughs> repulsive is too strong of a word, but I, it had like this kind of negative connotation in my mind where it's like slimy sales tactics, the wolf of Wall Street, like all, all of these kind of connotations. But I think that sales often gets like a bad rap. It has been so instructive and informative and helpful to not only starting our own business, but just like building relationships. And it's just been so a super helpful skill set to develop. But yeah, so going back to the startup, working in business development, it's a marketplace. The startup kind of struggled to get off the ground. Unfortunately, didn't close a round of funding. And in late 2013, a lot of people, myself included, ended up leaving the company. And this is uh, just around Halloween of, of 2013. And I found myself for the first time in my career kind of looking around and thinking about like, all right, what am I going to do next? And I had a lot of high aspirations for 
the luxury brands that I was going to work with and take their e-commerce to the next level of, or that cool new startup that just raised a huge amount of funding that I was going to go like lead a team there. And I found that over, I learned kind of the hard way that, especially at that age, I was about 24 to 25 at the time, that finding a new job in, in Q4 is not the easiest thing to do. A lot of companies are like closing their books and they're like, hey, come back to us in, in January or in February after the holidays. And I was getting so frustrated. I was living in New York City at the time and I had rent to pay. And I was like, I did not have a lot in the way of savings. So I was thinking like, okay, what am I going to do here? How am I going to like figure this out? And for the first time in my career, I felt like this very uncomfortable and scary feeling of like my standards starting to slip around the types of roles that I would be willing to take on just to make ends meet. And I was like, you know, and then I started looking at some of these job descriptions and it was, it was just like, I had this reaction of, I refuse to spend the majority of my waking hours doing something that I despise or that is not going to make me a stronger or better professional. So I conceptualized Maison Market and pitched it to my younger brother, actually on a, we had a family like Christmas vacation to Mexico in 2013. And Lexi and I were sharing a room and I gave him like my most earnest older brother pitch <laughs> to lead his job because he was gainfully employed at the time. Was he happily employed or was he kind of, eh? Well, actually Scoop isn't around anymore, so I could speak pretty freely. No, he was, it was, uh, <laughs> and, yeah, and it's far enough in the rear view mirror. No, he he was not happy working right, in Right, so he was... He was game for something, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. So I was about 25, he was 23, and he was pushing back a lot in that, hey, yeah, one day it would be fun to start something, but we're too young. Like, we can't, we can't do this now. Fortunately, I played a little inside baseball, and I told my dad, I also pitched him on what we were looking to do, and told him to convince Lexi that it was the right time and the right idea. So yeah, eventually I convinced Lexi to take the leap of faith. We started Amazon Market really in January of 2014. And originally I stayed in the city and we were using my apartment on the Upper West Side as like our office and our, our meeting grounds that and like local coffee shops and whatnot. And then eventually I ended up moving home and moving back in with my parents on Long Island. I was very fortunate to have them as a resource. And even though we didn't raise any money for Maison Market, we had no investors and it was completely bootstrapped. Looking back on it, the ability to like cut overhead and extend our runway was like hugely, hugely impactful. So now that didn't make it any easier. My girlfriend at the time, now wife, was not as she was living in, in the city and not as psyched to be commuting to reverse commuting to Long Island to hang out with me, but she was a real, a real sport about it. So she gets plenty of the credit there. That was kind of the leap of faith. I decided that based on the circumstances that it made sense to invest myself fully into this idea that we had just based on where I was at in my career. And I was able, I was fortunate enough not only to kind of cut overhead, but also convince my brother to come along for the ride. So were there some things that you had found when you were working in your various positions that were missing from the opportunities for companies that you thought you could really provide? There were some unique things that you and your brother together could provide that you had learned. It was interesting. My, my vantage point was relatively, or my perspective on the landscape was relatively simple. There were a lot of brands. I knew that e-commerce was growing. I knew that direct-to-consumer was going to be this like kind of up and to the right trend line, but when I spoke with brands and I was like, oh, you're, you're interested in doing direct-to-consumer, you're interested in building e-commerce, and I would understand, I would try to have conversations around, okay, what does that actually look like? 
almost always the answer that I would get was that these brands were spending high five and sometimes well into the six figures on building out their online stores through like expensive technology stacks. So at the time, this is like, I don't even know if Shopify was around. I think Shopify was in very early stages, but it was certainly not the preeminent e-commerce platform that it is today. Most people were building on platforms like Magento or Spree or Oracle. And, you know, these brands would go and they would spend with like an agency in New York, they would spend, call it $150,000 to build out a very splashy custom website. Their website would go live and then there would be crickets and they would be like, okay, now what? And oftentimes those same agencies that built the websites would charge those brands a maintenance fee. And they'd be like, oh yeah, you want a little bit of SEO? You want a little bit of like, you know, this, that, and the other. And they'd be like, all right, pay us X thousand dollars a month and we'll we'll do that for you. But it was just like this add-on, it was this throwaway. And I realized that there was kind of an opportunity to like grab the baton. And once their websites went live, that that's where we could step in and just fully own and focus on the growth part of the equation. Whereas a lot of agencies at the time we're very focused on trying to be everything to everyone, trying to be quote unquote full service. We were and have been over the last nearly decade at this point, quite narrowly focused. And I think that that specialization has allowed us to become truly great at what we do while knowing that we leave a lot on the table. We have clients and brands that come to us all the time. Hey, can you update our website? Hey, can you help us meet influencers? Can you? And like, there's all sorts of requests in our realm that we get that we turn away and we'll gladly point them towards other people that are great at those things, but deciding not to be full service and to focus on just the growth piece of the equation, I think was really formative for us. So there must be that there are new, t- and you mentioned the you know, companies are investing in these technologies, but there must be in your company also this, this need to keep up to date with new data analytics and new formats and new technologies and new social media trends. Like how do you keep up with everything that you need to know to like provide the right information to your companies about what they should do. One thing I didn't kind of talk through, which I think will probably start to answer that question is I obviously discussed that I started the business with my brother, Uh, our division of labor. And the reason I think we've been able to work together for as long as we have is that we're, even though we're only under two years apart, we're good at different things. So I oversee as a CEO of Maison Market, all kind of corporate strategy, business development, sales, a lot of our recruitment efforts as well. Lexi oversees as our chief operating officer, he oversees all of our media relationships with the platform providers that we use on the behalf of our clients. And those relationships are hugely, hugely impactful and important in terms of not only staying up to speed on what are the latest ad features, the latest tools and technologies that we can leverage, but also, you know, the platforms are really excellent. So I'm talking about Meta, I'm talking about Google, all these different media providers. They're really outstanding at not only like providing troubleshooting support, but they'll provide ad credits where our brands and clients can actually not only beta test new features and new ad units, but they'll actually give our clients dollars, like effectively free advertising money to go out and test new features. So there is like this economies of scale component where you create a bit of a flywheel where once you're able to manage a certain amount of, there's like this self-fulfilling loop of support which is super, super helpful. But that took a lot of time in in full candor. I wouldn't have thought it, but like it it took us quite a bit of time to get like a true and like really solid rep at Google. But once we had that, that was something that was like almost became a bit of a competitive advantage. And then 
that's something that we've had to work to develop across all the platforms that we work on. That's fascinating. So when you think about what your greatest successes have been for the company so far and like how you set your goals for the next five years or whatever, are there certain companies that you are seeking? Are there some clients that you've really had that you were like, oh, you know, we've definitely made it. We just signed up with whoever. Are there points along the way that you've thought, this is how I know that we're doing really well? And then are there things that you knew, things that you're trying to do for the future that you want to talk about? In terms of like goal setting, I very much like keeping all of our organizational objectives within reach and like kind of within arm's reach. I love kind of three, six, 12 month goals. Like I find that if I start planning beyond just a handful of years, if I start thinking about five years, that it gets fuzzier to me. And especially given that we work in an arena that is so driven by technology, I think realistically, if we're being honest and trying to speculate about what 2028 is going to look like, I mean, you see the progress that's been made across generative AI and like all of these different arenas that are so fascinating. I like to stay nimble and and be able to kind of focus on kind of the 10 feet in front of my face, so to speak. But as far as like our goals and some of the accomplishments that we're most proud of, or I'm most proud of, it's interesting because as I look back, it's kind of, it doesn't feel like we've been in business as long as we have, especially because realistically speaking, the early years, as I started to mention, were quite scrappy. So, So we've gone through a number of iterations of the business. And for the first few years, like calling us a quote unquote company, like I also like didn't even don the CEO title for probably like five or six years. Eventually I was like, okay. But yeah, going back to like some of our accomplishments, I mean, first and foremost, this January or in the first half of 2024 will be our 10th year in business. And just like, I'm immensely proud of the fact that we've been able to not only like grow the business and stay in in business for that amount of time, but we've also been profitable every year that we've been in business since our inception. And that's with no investment at all over the course of the entire 10 years, no capital investment. Like I'd mentioned, we've had some like kind of scrappier moving home, like extending our runway like that, you know, credit cards and things of that sort, but no, no proper investment uh, in the business. So being profitable, 10 years in business. Also for the past six years or so, we've grown every single year in a pretty outstanding fashion. So 2022 was our best year ever in terms of top line revenue, in terms of volume of clients, in terms of media under management. And 2023 is slated to outpace 2022 by a pretty healthy margin. Now, I don't want to count my chickens before they hatch, but so far the year is looking solid. So between being profitable and then just having some really consistent growth, that's certainly something I hang my hat on. And then beyond that, I mean, look, we realistically, we work with some really terrific brands. We work with just and to give you some perspective, today we have over 80 clients on our roster. Our team is just over 30 people, including myself and my brother. But we work with some really incredible creative and just visionary brands. We work with Lacoste North America, Ula Johnson, Mara Hoffman, Maison Kitsune, Diaz and Durga. We have a number of these case studies on our website. So for any anyone that's curious, it's a combination of the growth and also just the quality of the brands that we support. That's great. So what did it feel like when you could finally say... I'm a CEO. Yeah, it's funny. I don't actually remember the moment when I did. I think it was, prob- it was probably a very underwhelming slide of the cursor on LinkedIn where I just changed <laughs> I just changed the title and like never thought about it again and just hope none of my friends called me out and were like, oh, wow, l- look at you anointing yourself this, <laughs> this position. Uh, <laughs> it was probably a more 
vanilla consideration around like when Lexi and I were actually looking at our org chart and like really starting to define our roles and responsibilities. I think that was the kind of the main, it seemed like as we were servicing more clients, like there needed to be somebody who had like the buck stops with somebody, so to speak. And I, I think that it was just helpful for me to step into that. But I don't remember it being any like uh, moment. I felt like that was perhaps creating some ambiguity that was counterproductive. So that, that was the main reason I kind of stepped into it. I'd love to talk a little bit about your time at Cornell. And you talked about your experience with meeting the faculty member before you even came here, which is great. And it's really cool to hear about that faculty are like willing to do that kind of outreach. I'd love to talk a little bit more about like what if there are some things you learned here or some classes you took or some experiences you had either inside or outside the classroom that you feel like have shaped you and helped you as you move your company forward? Yeah, of course. I had a vision of what my career would be after Cornell. And my career has had so many, it feels like it's had so many twists and turns that like, I certainly, it's not like I was selecting courses around what I thought I was going to end up doing. Although with that said, I was looking back on it, maybe the most relevant course that I took, I was fortunate enough to take a class on entrepreneurship in the Johnson School. And that felt to me like the most practical or pragmatic class that I took because there was like a kind of venture ideation component to it. And I had a team and I pitched them on my idea and we ended up pursuing it. And like, that was just super, super engaging and, and a lot of fun to go through. And, and I feel like maybe it was a bit of foreshadowing given that it was an entrepreneurship class. I also took like, as a result, my, my program required that we took a marketing class as well, which certainly I found interesting. But in terms of like the main things that I would say have been most this many years out, most impactful, I would say certainly, of course, you probably will hear this from every Cornell alum, of course, like work ethic and like late nights of kind of just needing to be productive and getting stuff done. Like certainly like those habits are undoubtedly, I still put them to good use today. But beyond that, I would say I consider myself very fortunate that like the network and like the friends that I developed at Cornell have been so impactful, not only for me professionally, but just personally, I guess two anecdotes that come to mind. One is our very first client at Maison Market was a luxury knitwear brand that was selling to Bergdorf Goodman and, and Neiman Marcus and a really like cool up and coming emerging designer. And I was introduced to the founder of that collection through somebody that I was in a fraternity with at Cornell. I had run into him on the street in downtown Manhattan. I hadn't seen him since we had graduated. This is not somebody that, that I'm close with, more of an acquaintance. I was close with him when we were in school, but more of an acquaintance. Ran into him. I told him what I was doing. At that time, I was working at that e-commerce startup. And he was like, oh, you have to speak with my friend. Ended up speaking with him. Him and I became friends. And then they became not only our first client for Maison Market, but like a true evangelist for our business, where they started referring us. They created a bit of a kind of flywheel or momentum for us. So Certainly, that's like a very easy and obvious example of my relationships from Cornell helping Maison Market get off the ground. But then in addition to that, like I have a lot of my best friends today are people that I met freshman year. I'm fortunate enough, I live in the same neighborhood as one of my best friends who I met across the hall in Muse. We both today have children under a year old. So we're able to kind of like, it's just fun to like be able to go through like these very distinct life stages with people that you've known for a long time. So to see him and he has a beautiful daughter now and I have a son that's nine months old and to like see them kind of meeting and taking pictures, it's just a, it's a cool experience. So I'd like to turn a little bit and talk a bit about you 
your habits and things that you found helpful and some wisdom you might pass along to young entrepreneurs if they want to try to do the same thing that you've done. So are there certain habits you have, some tools that you use or software or various organizational things that you find and the way you structure your day that you found to be really important and work for you? Yeah, it's interesting to consider. I wish, like, it's funny because I'm always on the hunt for like, what is the piece of software? What is the tool that like, I'm going to hear about on a podcast that I'm going to integrate and it's going to make my life 40% easier instantaneously. And, right. you know, as that's what we're as, looking for here. Exactly. <laughs> Not to disappoint, but like, I'm, I'm actually, despite working in technology, like I'm actually like a pretty lo-fi person. Like, so of course I use probably a similar technology stack to a lot of people listening to this across Google suite and, and Slack and Calendly and all of that good stuff. But I found that one of the best, I guess, habits that I've incorporated in actually, it started, I guess, it started during the pandemic relatively recently. So I'm fortunate that my home and my office are only about two and a half, two miles apart. So I try and walk or bike every day. And that's an excellent opportunity for me to clear my mind and, and gain some clarity. Obviously, I mentioned I have a baby at home as well. So that time to kind of think and just like open myself up a bit has been hugely impactful. And being in Boston, I had to invest pretty heavily into my winter gear. So I have a great Patagonia backpack that helps me walk two or so miles in, in the winter. I keep it up in pretty much all weather. But yeah, that's been helpful. And then something that's a little bit more maybe pragmatic is finally after I had also been kind of unofficially donning the CFO cap for Maison Market for a while. However, about two years ago, I finally brought in an outside service provider to manage our books. And that has been super, super helpful to just have that taken off of my plate. So a lot of like our accounts receivable, accounts payable, like I'm trying to migrate myself towards focusing more and more on high impact activities. I think that's a challenge that probably a lot of entrepreneurs face is understanding like a lot of entrepreneurs take pride in wearing a lot of different hats. And certainly I do as well, but slowly but surely starting to like, to like peel off some of those activities that can be serviced by other providers has been super helpful. So my goal is to spend less time chasing invoices, drafting invoices, and focus on like the sustainable growth of the company. You're lucky that you live so close to your office in Boston, because I know that that's not an easy housing market to navigate. So is there a book that you might recommend to other people who are entrepreneurs or a business person that you admire their career that you'd like to share? I've thought a decent amount about this in part because uh, about a year ago, I started teaching a class at Boston College called Digital Commerce. And I had to put together like a full curriculum and think about like what books I wanted to have included within that. And two of the books that now this is a class for undergrads. So certainly possible. It would not surprise me that both of these books are kind of well-read and well-tread by the listeners of this podcast. But two of the books that I find just like very foundational and helpful are The Lean Startup by Eric Rise and Hooked by Nira Yal. Both of these, I think just like every entrepreneur should be familiar with minimum viable product, MVPs, trial and error, iterations. Like I think one thing that I see as a major, I've spoken with a lot of people that have entrepreneurial aspirations, and it just seems like there's a huge kind of zero to one issue where people are hesitant or unsure of how to get started. And a lot of that seems like almost more emotional than it is tactical. So I think that just a lot of these ideas around getting started, 
not to putting too many roadblocks in front of your start is hugely, hugely impactful. I'm also just about done reading a book, which has been amazing, called Deep Work by Cal Newport. And his whole thesis is, I actually originally heard him, uh, and this actually ties back into another part of the question, which are there any business people that I admire or look up to? I heard Cal Newport originally on the Sam Harris podcast. Longtime listener of Sam Harris, I have a lot of respect for how he's built his organization. He does a lot of charitable work. He also has like kind of veered into not only software and app development, but around meditation. Like he seems like he is a very kind of grounded business. But going back to Cal, so like kind of the thesis of the book is that a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of people within kind of knowledge work and white collar work have operated under the assumption that technological progress has been beneficial and increased productivity, specifically what he calls a lot of like the frictionless ad hoc communication. So you could consider this like email, Slack. But what he talks a lot about in the book is the fact that these forms of frictionless communication require a lot of what he calls cognitive context switching. Meaning if I'm speaking with like a new hire for Maison Market and then a client emails me about an issue and then, you know, an employee tells me, hey, can I get reimbursed for this travel or whatever it might be? Like, Doing all of the repeated context switching across all of these different topics that all of us get pulled into on a regular basis, it has like a really detrimental impact on our ability to complete complex tasks. And when you're trying to think strategically about an organization like that's, and when I'm trying to think about like, you know, you're talking about like big picture goals, if you're constantly context switching, it becomes immensely difficult to do what he refers to as deep work which is to think about a singular problem or challenge for hours on end. And I think most of us that like, you know, work in an office can relate to the fact like, when's the last time you took several hours to just focus on something singular? So there's, there's not an easy kind of pill to swallow that, that remedies for that. However, like one, and this maybe goes back to the piece about habits. One habit that I have, which has been impactful, is that I love to work on Saturdays. So I come into the office frequently on Saturday, I'll kind of wake up, I'll hang out with my family, and then I'll kind of mosey in at my leisure, I'll have my coffee, I'll walk into the office. And from 10 to one, or whatever the number of hours that I could commit on that given day, that is my opportunity to do deep work and not have to worry about the flurry of client emails or whatever it might be. Now, for a lot of people that might be a bridge too far, and maybe there's balance considerations and concerns around that, which I would most definitely respect and understand, but it's been so impactful for me. Let's see. I mean, certainly, so I, I respect a lot of the people within kind of also like the open source community. So there's people like Matt Mullenweg, who is one of the founders of WordPress. He was also somebody that I, I discovered on the Sam Harris podcast, who was effectively running a distributed global organization well before COVID and somebody who I think is just a very progressive thinker who I respect. I also just really admire Vitalik Buterin, the founder of Ethereum, is somebody who has just operated at such a high level in a very kind of transparent and candid way. So certainly kind of like that open source, just transparent type of operator is something that I most definitely admire. You mentioned a bit about Sam Harris and his philanthropy, and it made me think that we didn't talk yet about the piece of your business where you help mentor other entrepreneurs who might need some marketing help who might be starting up. 
and also some of your nonprofit. Can you just mention a, a bit about why that piece is an important part of your business too? Yeah, sure. So early on, like I knew that I wanted Maison Market to be part of kind of the creative community, specifically in New York at that time. And I was fortunate enough to get linked up with several different programs, which had emerging and up and coming design talent. Specifically, FIT had what was called the Design Entrepreneurs Program, where 30 different brands were kind of competing in almost like a Shark Tank style kind of program where they would compete and be eligible to get funding if they succeeded. And I worked as both an instructor and a mentor to that program, which has just been so incredible just to meet up and coming designers and design talent. In addition to that, back in 2014, the CFDA, the Council of Fashion Designers of America, had their incubator program. And their incubator program had about 10 or so designers within it. I was fortunate enough in the first class of that program from 2014 to 2016, I was just friends with a lot of the designers that were in the program. But then in the next class of the program from 2016 to 2018, I was fortunate enough to serve as a mentor and get to know a lot of like the very ground level challenges that emerging design talent was facing at that time. And also just lend some advisory to what bootstrapping a direct-to-consumer business looks like. Because a lot of designers and just not even just designers, a lot of people who have aspirations for growing a D2C business, it can get a bit easy to lose motivation when it seems like the only brands that are succeeding are raising enormous venture capital funds and they have a war chest of 50, 100 plus million dollars to go out and spend huge amounts on customer acquisition. So it seems like there's this real hunger for advice and strategies on how to kind of organically build a business. So I hope I've been able to kind of lend my voice to a lot of up and coming brands and design talent on how best to think about that in a way that is maybe a bit more, at least initially capital constrained. Another thing that I realized very early on, which is a piece of advice I give to a lot of starting entrepreneurs, is actually a piece of advice I got from my dad very early on. So it was very tempting when we were getting Maison Market off the ground to try to find engagements where we effectively like wouldn't charge a brand, but they would allow us to put them in our portfolio or kind of advertise that, hey, we work with such and such. And my dad very astutely kind of gave me the piece of advice that if you don't charge anything for it, it doesn't have any value. (laughs) And that has been like, I am such a firm believer that identifying when a brand or a business is willing to part with their hard-earned money is a really important arbiter of understanding where value exists and where it doesn't. Like if nobody is willing to pay you for a service or for a product, that's the universe telling you something about its perceived value. And we did, by the way, I didn't heed the advice initially. Like I did have a few brands where I was like, oh, don't worry. Like you don't have to pay us anything. Let us just like work on this. And it was always counterproductive engagements and just things that like, I I wish I could take back and just kind of led us in the wrong direction. But I could understand why that's tempting because sometimes when you just want to work, you don't even care about like the dollars and cents. You just want to be able to kind of prove that you're capable of doing something. But that's definitely a piece of advice that I would, I would impart. Right, right. And have those names in your portfolio, especially if they're business, you know, companies you really want to be associated with. That would be tempting. Right. But that does sound like a really good, a really good suggestion. So Matt, thank you so much for joining us. It has been great to have you. Thank you, Kathy. It was a pleasure to be here. I really enjoyed the conversation. All right. To find out more about entrepreneurship at Cornell and see the show notes from this episode, visit eshep.cornell.edu. 
A special thanks to Abigail Younger, my editor extraordinaire, and to Bert Odom-Reed of the Cornell Broadcast Studio.